0: Are you the sober parent in an alcoholic family, and how has recovery helped you to be a better parent? Welcome to episode 232 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Emily, Evelyn, Sharon, and Tammy. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Emily, Evelyn, Sharon, and Tammy for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics and Addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery.
1: Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them take what you like, and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life.
0: My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me is Amy. Welcome. Thank you. Amy, you chose a reading.
1: I did. I looked at two readings. I thought it was ironic that the reading encouraged to Change today was about self-care and taking a half hour for yourself on the day that we were doing an episode on parenting. (laughs) So I kind of chuckled at that. But The reading that I actually chose is from One Day at a Time in Al-Anon, and it's the June 27th reading on page 179. We who really try to use the Al-Anon program have various reasons to be grateful as we see the results. This was one member's experience, which she told her friends at a meeting. Her greatest difficulty concerned her children. I never knew what to do about them when my husband came home drunk and disorderly. I felt they should be shielded from violence, yet overprotection wouldn't be good for them. I didn't want to influence them against their father. I knew he loved them, and they him. I found all the answers in Al-Anon. I made sensible explanations about their father's illness and found them naturally compassionate. I avoided scenes by not allowing my frustrations to erupt into anger. I tried hard to be consistent and fair to them. The results have been everything I hoped for, and I am so grateful to al for this. And then today's reminder, our children are a first thing to consider first. Our attitude is the key to a successful family relationship and their normal growing up. And then the quote is, and above all, I never use the children as pawns in any conflicts. They respond so well to respect.
0: Well, that's a tough order. <laughs>
1: Yes, it sure is. I I just thought that this reading was it touched on a lot of what I think we'll we'll talk about today. It was one of the more helpful readings whenever I first came into the Al-Anon program. I remember coming into the program wanting to find another mom program friend. Like I felt as though I was in a desperate search for that. You know, not realizing that so many other diverse experiences would be able to help me and offer me experience, strength and hope. But this was kind of, this was kind of that for me.
0: Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I I think about what I was looking for when I came into the program and I was looking for somebody who had experience with an alcoholic spouse and I really wasn't thinking about my children. And that's, I think, I don't know, just different people focus different things, I guess. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are, what what your situation is like right now?
1: Sure. So I am the sober parent in our home. My spouse is an alcoholic and not currently in recovery. He's extremely high functioning. You know, his drinking or using is almost solely in secret or, you know, at the very least, I never see it. So someone looking in from the outside, you wouldn't necessarily know that alcoholism is in our home. We have two very young children. Uh, we have a three year old and a five year old. Because of the nature of my husband's alcoholism, they've never witnessed the drinking or drunkenness. What they have been exposed to though is, you know, whether they're aware of it or have understood it or not, for sure, a mother who has suffered from depression parents, me in particular, whose anger turns to rage very quickly and kind of an absence of loving behavior between my husband and I in a lot of cases. And that could be for varying periods of time.
0: Yeah. I can relate to the, the anger and rage. I've talked about that before. I was the rageful person in the home. For sure. My children definitely saw that. My children were definitely bore the brunt of of that. One of the things I look back on and I most regret, I don't know, regret's not quite the right word, but wish I could have done differently and need to make amends for. There we go. Right. As the sober parent, and I'm just going to use that shorthand, we face a lot of challenges. And I'm sure that each person faces those in different amounts and sees different challenges?
1: You know, I th- I kind of feel like some of the challenges that we face are not that different than the challenges other parents face who are in non-alcoholic homes. It's just amplified like a million times. At least it feels that way. The challenges that I think I have faced, I feel jealous of my partner he's often viewed as the fun parent Mm. the parent who doesn't sweat the small stuff you know a lot of that is because he's also in my opinion not always thinking of the responsible thing you know there's some disagreement on decision making yeah it's hard it's really hard and not not knowing what normal is or what healthy is. You know, I did not grow up in an alcoholic home, at least that I'm aware of. I'm about 99% certain of that. I did grow up in a home where the marriage is very different from, you know, what my marriage looks like today. And so, I came into marriage and parenting, I think, with some pretty specific expectations of what life was supposed to be like. Mm. And that has been detrimental and it's part of what you know I'm looking at as I work through my program not knowing you know what that's supposed to look like attributing all of our quote unquote problems to alcoholism when they may very well just be problems that you know most people face hmm. <laughs> whether or not alcoholism is part of the picture i also with you know with with the active alcoholism in our home it's not outward. So I don't really ever know what I don't know. You know, I thought for a while that I was pretty good at picking up on when the drinking was happening or when the using was happening. But as I've worked my program, I've tried to not think so much about that and not focus on that and put the focus on myself. But there's still an element of the unknown that, you know, factors in, particularly when decisions are being made for your kids or you know, you're leaving your kids alone with, you know, your partner and there are varying levels of concern there. i so grateful that there is no violence in our home. You know, that's a whole other element to deal with. And I think for the most part, I'm fortunate that my spouse will make smart decisions where, you know, driving is concerned or those types of things. But there's always that Peace in the back of my mind that is you know well you don't know what you don't know, and there are so many things that I thought I knew that I didn't really know over the last several years or since we've been together that it's enough to keep that doubt you know at least in the back of my mind.
0: One of the things that I know I was definitely concerned about around the children's safety was whether my wife was driving them after she'd been drinking. Like you say, I don't know what I don't know. I think there were times when that happened because they had to go someplace and I wasn't available. I certainly did my best to be the driver for the kids, whatever it was, whenever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure that there were times. I was lucky for a good part of the time that she was drinking, she drank at home. Mm. In the evening, mostly, because she worked nine to five job that became a concern. I think later when her, her drinking got more severe and I, you know, I don't know. You, you don't know what you don't know.
1: I can remember you know, one of the things that as what I felt was the unraveling and, you know, probably about a year before I actually came to my first Al-Anon meeting we had just had our second child. And so she was an infant. It was actually early December because the Christmas decorations were up and she was born in late October. And so I hadn't been out of the house a whole lot. Mm. You know, we, you were doing the whole infant thing and, you know, neither one of you was really getting much sleep, which is also really problematic in any home, but particularly in, a, in an alcoholic home. And I just wanted to get my hair cut. And I, I went to, you know, I had that first outing out of the house Mm -hmm. without infants, you know, just by myself and just went, you know, the next town over to get a haircut. And when I came home, my spouse was very clearly intoxicated. That was a really difficult moment. One of several where I just started to feel backed into a corner.
0: Because at that point, he was responsible for the care of the infant in the house,
1: exactly, and you know they were both of our children were sleeping. you know it wasn't something where they were exposed to that,
0: but if but something had happened
1: the what if exactly yeah, yeah.
0: oh I, the what if no kidding, and that <laughs> that's the other place where I had certainly had some fears as you know I would find a burner left on or something like that and and think what if i wasn't home. Yeah. What might have happened?
1: Mhm.
0: Following those what ifs down the down the trail is a sure recipe for anxiety, fear, depression, lack of sleep, all all those things that don't help anything. Really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's. I call that my crazy train um, yeah. of thought. And it just it so quickly runs away. And, and I find that now, if I'm not going to meetings, and if I'm not picking up my literature daily, or at least every other day, I can start to slip back into that so quickly.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I remember, I think relates to emotional safety, mm. is that she would say things that were very sort of judgmental and I didn't know how to react. You know, we were trying to do the thing where you don't let the parents triangulate on the kids or you don't let the kids triangulate on the parents. But when she says something that I'm just like, what a heck, I didn't know what to do. And how do you protect your kids emotionally? And, For me, it's a lot easier to to see how to protect them physically than how to protect them emotionally.
1: Yeah, I I think one of the things that would come out in me is, and and really still does, I, I haven't found the off button for it yet, I'm trying to find it, is not criticizing my spouse in parenting in front of my kids. Right. When I'm feeling like I'm the one that's having to be responsible and, or make what I believe to be the right decision, even though it's the unpopular one, I end up feeling resentful. I end up feeling, you know, that irresponsibility or viewing him as irresponsible, almost like a teenager would not think of, you know, these scenarios that you know, you try to anticipate with your kids in making decisions. I have caught myself treating him not as an adult.
0: Yeah. I don't think I was consciously aware that I was doing that. Right. Certainly before I came into, into Al-Anon, my thinking was, well, I'm, I'm the reasonable one here. I'm the one who is in full possession of my faculties, ignoring the fact, of course, that I was liable to burst out into a rageful, yelling at at some point, but, (laughs) and I should, I should be able to say what happens. Mm -hmm. There were definitely times when, you know, my spouse was just kind of checked out and I had to make decisions.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then later I might get criticized for those decisions. That's not a comfortable place to be. Or as you said, you know, my spouse would make a decision when we're there with the kids that I didn't agree with. And I found it very difficult to find a time when we could actually talk about.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is, that's probably, and I didn't even in thinking about our conversation today, I didn't even, that didn't even come up for me, but that is a really big challenge that we face. I mean, we both, we both work full time. You always have things going on in the evenings. Our kids aren't quite old enough to be involved in 20 different activities yet. You know, even just trying to get to meetings and having time to talk about just daily life and logistics. Early on, when I started coming to Al-Anon, my husband actually had started going to AA meetings. Mm. And so that in and of itself was difficult and stressful. You know, who gets to go to a meeting tonight because we don't have a babysitter and can't find a meeting where there is a babysitter. And then, you know, sensitivity to taking our children to meetings. I have found meetings, at least one that offers babysitting. And that has been like a lifeline for me. If I absolutely need to get to a meeting, I know that that's one night a week that I can, regardless of what anyone else in my life has going on including my spouse, mm-hmm. but, um, there was some sensitivity to that from him. And, you know, my husband actually grew up in the rooms, in the rooms of AA, I should say, not Al-Anon. And so his experience definitely came into play in his comfort level and, and which I wanted to honor and respect because they are, they are both of our children, yeah, you know, So it's hard.
0: Yeah. I want to take a break briefly and read a letter from Ben who writes, I heard you mention you may be doing a show on parenting while living with alcoholism. It is often very frustrating. I feel like a single parent, even though there is another parent in the house when things are really bad. I've had to get a babysitter. Even when my partner is home because she just can't watch our son. In the best weeks, I probably do two-thirds of the parenting. In the worst, I do 100%. Perhaps most frustrating is that my partner usually doesn't seem able to plan things and take initiative. She will, when able, drive him to or from school or read him a story when I ask her to. But I'm the only person who schedules doctor appointments or play dates or makes plans when school is closed or ever really takes him out of the house to the park or on a walk. There are things my partner is better at than I am when she is present, such as helping our son sort through his emotions when he is upset, and I really appreciate that. But I have reached the point where I rarely ask her to do anything unless I have a work or social obligation and am unable to fulfill a particular parenting duty. Otherwise, I have found asking sets up an expectation, and of course, expectations too often lead to disappointments and resentment. My current approach is that she's in the same house, she sees the same calendar I do, she can step up to do as much or as little as she would like. My sponsor has urged me to be grateful for the close relationship I have developed with my son in the first few years of his life, and I try to do that. I do have a closer relationship with my son than my dad had with me, and that is the result of my doing most of the parenting while my partner struggles with addiction and depression. And that truly is a good thing, and I have no regrets. I think my son and I will be close for the rest of his life. Another lesson that I've heard from my sponsor is not to criticize the way my partner parents, especially in front of our son. Even if I'm quite sure she's not doing something the right way and might even be harming him, do I want to teach my son that when you know your way is best, you should criticize how someone else does it? No, I want to teach him that we respect other people's different approaches and philosophies and to remember that a relationship between two people is their business, not ours. Of course, it's tough. When it involves parenting my son, but she's not actually putting him in harm, and I have to remember he will be okay even if my partner doesn't parent the way I would like, and the reason is in part because she is drinking or using or depressed. I'm not sure what the future holds, and I'm not sure whether we will stay together, but I do know I wouldn't have made it through several years of co parenting with an alcoholic slash addict without the help of program. A lot of time, I would have been obsessing about her behavior or the unfair burden of all the parenting I have to do. I have instead spent time working the steps or talking to folks in program or reading literature and overall changing myself for the better. I also really think all that work has made me a better parent. I'm able to model a lot of behavior, like focusing on myself and not what other people do, that I wish someone had modeled for me growing up. Thanks again, Ben. And and thank you, Ben. And I, I identified with a lot of what Ben had to say here. This bit here about not criticizing even when my partner is not doing things the way that I think they should be done. I don't think I was good at that before program. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Did, did, what did you pick up in here that, that you connected with?
1: Man, there was a lot in there being grateful for the close relationship with my kids is something that i really connect with you know when i when i first came into program my at my very first meeting i will never forget someone saying you know i'm grateful for my struggles because without them i would not have stumbled on my strength that is probably one of the quotes that has stuck with me for the last 2 years not that I would not have had a close relationship with my kids anyway, but this is different. This is different than it would have been had I never found program. And so that is one of the ways that I'm becoming grateful for the problems that I have faced.
0: So before recovery, I'm looking at a list that you wrote about ways in which you reacted to these resentment. Oh yeah. Anger. Oh yeah. Misdirected anger. Definitely guilt, guilt. I think I felt not so guilty maybe about how I was being as a parent, but about the fact that I couldn't fix the whole situation. And I guess that relates to, to parenting to some extent. I couldn't fix things for my kids. I couldn't fix things for, for all of us. Exhaustion for sure. Oh yeah. And, and, and uh, you wrote this list so why don't you talk a little bit about what you got here
1: <laughs> yeah you know the the um exhaustion it's interesting because i it was it was mental emotional and physical exhaustion really mental and emotional and then it would become physical because of that and it, it was you know always Thinking about or, or, you know, those worst case scenarios popping into my head, the what ifs, the not knowing what I didn't know, not being able to control the outcomes of various situations, you know, and and struggling in my marriage because they're the struggles in my marriage are so intertwined with my uh, ability and my role as a parent, at least for me personally. And, you know, I'm not in a place where I'm considering, you know, doing this any other way than, than staying in my marriage and, and working through it. But I would feel the weight of the world on my shoulders and feel like I were responsible for absolutely everything. But the reality was I was becoming so physically exhausted and truthfully depressed that it took all I had to feed my kids at one point in time. I mean it literally took every ounce of energy I had to come home from work and make sure that they had food. And that is when I I mean I actually sought some professional help at that point for the depression because, you know, I I didn't feel like I was at risk of harming my kids or not feeding them, but I at least I'm grateful that I at least had you know, maybe higher power helping me out that I at least had the awareness that I was in that bad of a place, that I needed someone outside of myself to help me because it should not take every ounce of energy I have just to, you know, feed my kids in the evening. Uh, you know, that became a source of resentment between my husband and I as well because then there were a lot of things that I just wasn't doing. Um, the dishes, the laundry, cleaning, all those things that to upkeep your home and your lives. And I was really just letting it go. And and my husband is not the kind of person to not stay busy. And so if it didn't get done, he would do it. And then there was resentment because I wasn't doing it. And so there was a lot of mutual resentment there. And it just became kind of a, a vicious cycle. You know, our communication was not good. Still isn't great, to be perfectly honest. I've always felt compelled to convince someone to see my point of view. Mm. I wouldn't have said that I was trying to always get someone to agree with me, but essentially that's what it was. And so when you're disagreeing about, you know, decisions that you're making for your kids or something as insignificant as how you load the dishwasher, I was relentless in trying to have that conversation or have that communication. And it was just, it wasn't helpful in any way.
0: So how would you say that coming into program changed the way in which you felt these things, you did these things?
1: Well, first of all, it got me to breathe. And I remember feeling in a panic at one point, really early in program. So much in a panic that, you know, of what, what I didn't know, things that I had that had come to light that I thought I knew our life was one way. And in reality, things were happening that I wasn't aware of. And I thought, well, my God, how much worse is it? And that I still don't know. And I actually had to leave work at one point in the middle of the day, you know, kind of just took an early lunch, took about 30 minutes. And I didn't have, I mean, I had only gone to probably a handful of meetings and I I had maybe a couple of phone numbers, maybe only one or two. And I called a, a phone number and I couldn't even talk. And this wonderful woman from the first meeting I had been to didn't even ask my name, just received the phone call and said, OK, I'm going to count to three and we're going to take a deep breath together. And that is kind of a, a great metaphor for what program has been for me over the last two years is a lot of deep breaths that just got me to realize that although it felt much like a crisis, there was actually very little crises that I was dealing with. So that has been tremendously helpful because once there's a little more quiet to my thoughts and to my emotions about the alcoholism in, in our lives, then I'm able to receive even more of the tools that the program has to offer. And I can, you know, I'm not very good at meditation, but I'm I'm working on that. I'm not very good at pausing before I react to something, but I'm getting better awareness of that. I held on to the literature like a lifeline. And and most of the time, most days I still do. It brings life back into perspective for me and reminds me to focus on me that I can't care for others if I'm not caring for myself. Which doesn't, I was just reading an article actually about how self care is not bubble baths and chocolate. It's, you know, a lot of times it's making the difficult decisions and doing things that you really don't want to do, but are the best things for you to do. And so making sure that I'm doing those things and that i'm not i am very hard on myself and i think a lot of at least a lot of folks that i've met in program are also very hard on themselves
0: here we are huh
1: yeah so being gentle with myself and not trying to do life perfectly has helped to alleviate some anxiety for me. I What I have actually, I think one of the big things I've learned about myself and program is that I have some pretty significant anxiety and I never would have called it that, but I believe my anxiety really comes out a lot of the time as anger and rage. You know, I couldn't figure out where all of this anger and rage was coming from. And I, I think that's it. And I think part of that anxiety is perfectionism and, you know, this all or nothing mentality that I've had for so long that if I can't do it perfectly, why, why would I bother doing it at all? Or, you know, this paralysis, I think, I think you've talked about on your, on your show before about procrastination and paralysis. And yep. I I certainly go through that.
0: I think for me as, as it sounds like for you, the first the first thing that came to me from program in terms of being more of the parent that I wanted to be just came from having that space, as you say, not even necessarily being aware of, of having that space, but reducing the, the built up anger, frustration that would come out as rage was really huge for <laughs> I'm sure it was huge for my kids, you know, later on slogans like, how important is it? I can totally relate to the, I've got to be right
1: mm-hmm.
0: thing. And when I was able to not continue the argument, things got a lot better. <laughs>
1: Just drop the rope.
0: (laughs) Drop the freaking rope if it's not that important. And mostly it wasn't that important. Mostly the things we were arguing about were not that important. They were not life and death. I think relieving the pressure that I felt to fix things, and in particular to fix the drinking, being able to live in acceptance that, that, I wasn't the one who was going to fix it, that I didn't have the power to fix it. I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Really living with that made it a lot easier to focus on the things that I could do something about. One of the things that I could do something about was being a being a good parent, not being the, the angry one all the time not being the one that was always arguing with my wife about something, modeling better behavior, I guess, to some extent, and being there for them instead of being all wrapped up in the, the alcoholic situation. I would spend time away from home because I didn't want to be there. And so then I wasn't there for my kids either. As I got more acceptance, as I got more able to, live in the same house with the drinking without feeling like a failure without feeling like i had to fix it um, i was able to also be in the house with them and i think that's important i wrote down here hey have i do i use the traditions well i was reading i don't know if it was in a daily reader or what but it was something about using in particular tradition 2 which talks about Uh, the only authority is loving God is expressed through our group conscience and using that in the family. And I thought, yeah, that's wonderful. I don't think I really did it. (laughs) so (laughs) I don't think I can claim that it's a great idea, but I don't think I can claim that. (laughs) (laughs) Learning about boundaries, learning about Mm. how, how I can and can't use boundaries. And I think learning to set boundaries that were real on my kids was important. You talk about the all or nothing mentality and, and I'm, I was there if I didn't like something they were doing. It's like, you can't do that or else. (laughs) Right. And Mm -hmm. my kids, my kids, when I came into program, they were, I think, let's see, 2002, they were 11.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so it's a little different than a, a three and a five year old, you know.
1: Um, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little
0: bit. I mean, particularly at that age, they're starting to push on those boundaries. Yes. By the time we got to like sixth grade, they're they're starting to push boundaries again, but they're pushing to you know, they're saying no in a different way. And saying yeah. no more subtly, it's not a direct no, but they're still they're really starting to push out and wanting to do things themselves. And and that period actually lasts more than a, a year. <laughs> it lasts till they're like 20. (laughs) (laughs)
1: 20. Yeah.
0: And so I'm grateful that I was coming into recovery and I was starting to have more clarity about what I could do and what I couldn't do and what I could ask my children to do and what I couldn't ask my children to do. And also learning to be more consistent, I think, was really important. Because in the reaction to the alcoholic behavior, I could be really inconsistent.
1: Yes. Yes. I can relate to that too. And, you know, the thing for me with boundaries is learning that I don't always know what I'm willing to do or not willing to do if a boundary is broken or crossed Mm -hmm. and that that's okay, that I don't have to know. When I first heard about boundaries, it was really early in program. And so that was almost more stressful for me to think about because I had no idea what I would do if, you know, I didn't understand how to set boundaries. I still don't know that I really understand how to set boundaries and that's boundaries with my spouse, you know, Mm -hmm. because boundaries with my kids, particularly at this age are, are much different. Knowing that inaction can be a choice and a useful one has been really helpful for me that I don't have to react. I don't have to immediately lay down some form of discipline with my kids right away or that i have to necessarily make a decision in terms of an interaction with my spouse right away that inaction felt extremely uncomfortable for me in the beginning and it still feels uncomfortable but i'm settling into it a little bit and and not, it's not as scary anymore you know again i'm i'm not in a life or death situation so i and which i'm grateful for yeah.
0: I remember a situation, my kid was, oh, 17. I think it was summer after senior year of high school, not positive. And we had always told our kids, if you find yourself in a place where you need a ride for whatever reason, call us, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I get this call like three or four in the morning. And it's my kid, and they're like, hey, um, so I'm at this intersection out on the edge of town, and I'm really not sure how to get home from here. Can you come get me? Hmm. So I went and I picked them up, and I was like, so what happened here, you know? They had been out with some friends, and the friends were like, Hey, let's go over to so and so's house and, like, you know, do some drinking or something. I don't know exactly what they were doing. I think my kid maybe fell asleep and woke up and was like, I want to go home. And their friends were totally out of it. So, started walking and then realized <laughs> it was a <laughs> long way home and they weren't really sure what was the right way to get there, so called. So, I go in and pick them up, and, and almost the first, question out of their mouth was so what's my consequence?
1: Oh wow. <laughs> like
0: yeah. <laughs> wow. And I, and I said let's talk about that when you're sober and I'm awake.
1: Great response.
0: <laughs> I couldn't have done that without some years of program, I'll tell you. Yeah. And what I decided later after you know, I was awake again, was that they had really had a consequence. And the, the consequence that they had was probably a better learning experience than whatever punishment I might give that really wasn't related to, to what was going on. This kid also, it was really hard to set boundaries on this kid at this point in their life. Mm. They were pretty independent. They would go out of the house in the middle of the night, and sometimes I think they were just walking around the block so they could smoke because we didn't permit smoking in the house
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or whatever. But I knew that if I tried to ground them or something, that that would be ineffective, that they would just say, F you, I'm going to do it anyway, because they had effectively said that in regard to some other things, that we couldn't enforce at least with the measures we were willing to take. It wasn't like we could take away car keys or something like that. We live in a city, they can walk or get rides from their friends or whatever. And so again, learning to set boundaries that are actually enforceable, I guess, to understand that for this particular kid, that some of the things I might've liked to do would have only put us into further opposition would not have, helped the situation. And that for this particular instance, I think having to call your parent in the middle of the night after you find yourself lost in the middle of the countryside, probably a better consequence, really. Yes. (laughs) You know,
1: I would not have wanted to do that. Yep.
0: And I never had to do that again.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's, that's, that's like the saving grace with this particular kid is that they've never Done the same stupid thing twice. Mm -hmm. They keep finding new stupid things to do, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that there are plenty of things that I don't know about because they're living halfway across the country now, you know? Right.
1: That's such a hopeful story for me to hear, honestly, because one of the things that I have been struggling with recently, probably within the last six months to a year, I guess I would say is, you know, it's so interesting that you bring up, you know, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. And I can't cure it because I want that scenario to happen. Obviously, you know, that they're going to feel that I'm going to be an approachable parent, that they would be comfortable calling me in that situation because, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, bigger problems. You know, there are moments where, and it's, Age appropriate development, I feel that, you know, they they don't want to tell you the bad thing they did because they know you're they're about to get in trouble. When my rage and anger come into play, you know, and I kind of snap and and lose myself, I am immediately guilt ridden that I am going to be causing this disease in my kids because of that. And the interesting thing about you know, going to meetings for me and hearing so many different experiences is that I hear both sides of the coin. And sometimes I have a hard time reconciling that where I hear from adult children of alcoholics and, you know, you hear how deep that effect can be. I can't remember what page it's on. I think I have it written down somewhere, but where you're able to tell the the alcoholic household more so by the sober parent than you are by the alcoholic parent. Yeah. I've been terrified that, you know, this, this anger and this, these reactions that I have in, in handling situations with my kids is going to cause problems for them down the road and may or may not cause them, you know, probably my worst fear is that one or both of them will, become qualifiers for me at some point in my life. So I gain hope from hearing parents share. Um, and I know this is a topic coming up, you know, being a parent of an alcoholic or addict. But at the same time, I guess some suggestions that I feel come up in program that are hard for me to, to wrap my head around. And I think a good example is in ODAT, there's, there's a reading that kind of speaks to this it's august 9th on page 222 and it says i know how easy it is to let anger well up inside me at the thought of someone who has injured me what is much more difficult is to take a detached view so we can stop the building up of this head of steam unless i do this it will explode damaging me and everything around me when we are frustrated in our desire to punish the one we're angry at we may take it out on innocent bystanders sometimes even our own children those young lives which God has entrusted to our hands. Surely we have an obligation, a duty of love, to avoid aggravating the emotional damage that the drinking parent may already be inflicting on them. When I first read, I had that entire paragraph highlighted in my book, and when I first read that, that was a really hard one for me because I'm already very, very hard on myself and have this, this fear, it's almost phobic, of you know, creating this issue for my kids because I, I can't get my emotions and my anger under control at, at a first read and very early in program, this felt not like blame, but almost like, yeah, you're right. You're going to screw up your kids. Do you know what I'm kind of, you know what I'm getting at?
0: I do. I think everybody screws up their kids in one way or another. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that helps <laughs>
1: tremendously. <laughs>
0: um ah, wow, the the exploding and then feeling guilty thing, yeah. Several times I think I've I've had this conversation with my daughter, you know, about my anger and, and how it affected her. And she's the more vocal of my two children about this thing. And she said, Yeah, I would go run and hide in the other room. And I would know that you would calm down and then I'd have my daddy back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that hurts. You know, to think that, I mean, yeah, she still sort of felt more connected to me than to her, her mother. But to also be in that place where she had to go hide until I was back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, but it it is what it was, I guess, um, to turn that phrase slightly on edge. And I can be really grateful that I did find recovery and that did relieve the pressure that was exploding out on my kids. I was able to stop having those rageful outbursts. And then I, that was the real amends. And that happened. Well, before I got to steps eight and nine.
1: Well, and the funny thing is for me, you know, I actually, I mean, I, I find it much easier to come to terms with can't, can't, uh, that I didn't cause it, can't control it and can't cure it where my spouse and other callers in life are concerned. I find it very difficult to come to terms with that when it's you know, in reference to my kids and, you know, what will be for them in their future. And I guess that's when I find myself going down that rabbit hole, I have to go back to step three because step, I, I, you know, I mean, so far in my program, I've only made it to step four, but I have to go back to step three yeah. because step three for me is not just turning my will and my life over to the care of God, but it's turning my loved ones over to God and, and my will for them over to him, because it's not about my will for them. It's about God's will for them. And, you know, so much growth comes out of pain and discomfort and uh, challenging situations. And I can't take away it. it, It's counter to your, your parents instinct of protecting your kids at all costs to let them feel some of those uncomfortable things early on and to not react with anger you know, as much, yeah, it's, I really, I really have to go back to step three on that and turn them over because that becomes a crazy train for me in, in my thoughts really quickly.
0: For sure. Now, or not so much now, but in the, in the intro, in the interval between then and now I did see in my children, I identified, things in my children that I thought probably came from growing up in a home with alcoholism. And I had to really come to terms with the fact that I couldn't fix those for them either. Right. That I could give them the benefit of, of my understanding of my experience when they asked. And there were some times I remember my daughter calling me from college where she was trying to, fix a friend's depression. Mm. And we had a long conversation about where her ability and responsibility started and ended. Yes. And that if she really felt that this friend was at risk of hurting themselves, then it was her responsibility to alert the appropriate authorities at the university. Right. Not to try to prevented herself not to go up on the roof and keep him from jumping off or whatever it was at the time, you know, that wasn't easy for her to hear. And, and I don't know how much she took from it, but it, at least I was able to say it. Right. We have a couple more letters that we should probably read.
1: Okay.
0: Could you read this one from D?
1: Hi Spencer. Happy holidays to you and your listeners. I want to contribute to your co-parenting podcast, but first a note on the one about parenting as an adult child. I am an adult child. Both of my parents were alcoholics. I lived with my mom, so she had the biggest influence on my life. In my recovery group, when I completed step four, I realized that I carried many resentments into my adult life. I live halfway across the country from my family of origin, so it is easy to detach, maybe even a little bit too much. My mom passed away suddenly two weeks ago today. Instantly, all of the resentment vanished, and I am filled with such love for her, and sadly, regret for what I carried with me for all of these years. My husband is the alcoholic in my life now, and I hope that I don't get to the end of the road with him and feel this way. I think I will treat things differently, and I encourage anyone out there who feels this way to work through things as much as possible. Now on to the co-parenting with an active alcoholic. My husband completed a recovery program a year and a half ago. He is doing all right, however, is not working a program, so I often feel like he is white-knuckling his sobriety and he has had some slips. Here are some of the challenges I faced while he was actively drinking. One of my biggest letdowns was feeling very alone in parenting our two children. They are now 18 and 16, and they were 8 and 10, When things really spiraled out of control and stayed there for a long time, I felt forced to avoid countless activities, plans, decisions, and opportunities for bonding with our kids. I purposefully left him out of things for all of the obvious reasons. He was very much a binge drinker, so he easily picked up on the fact that he was being left out of things and really didn't understand. I also constantly found myself trying to make excuses for his behavior to our kids It hurt to see their confusion or fear when I told them he was not feeling well or his medication didn't agree with him. I finally told them the truth as much as I thought they could handle in an age-appropriate way if there is such a thing. I felt like I had to because my daughter especially was afraid that my husband would become sick while he was watching her, and that was scary to her. Another huge challenge I had was dependability. At the time I was the working parent, so I had to rely on him to pick up the kids from school, care for them, and prepare meals. His drinking was so unpredictable. My heart would sink when my oldest would text me, Daddy's driving slow, or Daddy's tired. I guess those were our code words and their secret cries for help. As time went on, he clearly went from being functional to completely non-functional. I don't consider myself a controlling person, but in his recovery, he has said that was a real issue for him. I guess you do it without realizing it. In my mind, it is a bit of a survival mechanism, trying to avoid all of the aforementioned types of situations. When my children had problems, I felt alone in addressing them. When my daughter was 15, it came to light that she was self-harming, which was devastating to me. I asked him to talk to her with me. When the time came to talk to her, he was messed up and it was a disaster. Thankfully, that phase passed, But it was so hard to get through that without his help. I should mention that when he is not actively drinking, he is a wonderful father. He is intelligent, funny, helpful, and has great ideas. Unfortunately, over time, the kids begin to lose respect and lose sight of some of the good qualities. In his sobriety, we face a lot of dry drunk behavior, but it's not nearly as bad as when he was drinking. Through my program, I have learned to remember the three C's. I have learned to say, you may be right, or I'll think on that in order to avoid an argument. I use my daily readers, especially Courage to Change, and keep a gratitude list, which helps tremendously. There is so much to be grateful for. Also, I've learned to let go and let God help him. I mostly try to work on myself. Our family will always be evolving. A lot of things are going well, and there is still a lot to work on. I am forever grateful for the program tools and friends along the way who have been invaluable in their love and support. Thank you for all that you do. God bless.
0: Again, so much in there. Trying to explain the behavior. uh, And it sounds like you're not at the point where that's something that's really coming up for you, is it?
1: No, not not so much. Um, I'm waiting for the question about the meetings. You know, our kids know that that I go to meetings, but they've yet to ask, you know, what's that all about? So, I, no, we haven't really run into that yet.
0: I did get some of those questions. I'm not sure that I necessarily handled them very well, particularly pre-recovery. When I came into al it was shortly before she went into a residential treatment program. We brought the kids over at least once, maybe a couple of times for their uh, their friends and family day. And they had a, a therapist that met with the kids. And they were not really very receptive to that. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly, I think one of them, the reaction was to hide.
1: Mm.
0: So I don't know how much they got out of it, but it, it did mean that at least we had a professional who... Was maybe able to give some explanation of what was going on that was easier than than us trying to give it. Um, I think at that point she was my wife was pretty open about what the problem was with them as much as she could be, and that I think that helped. But still, I would get questions about, well, why does she act this way? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing continued after the point at which she found the long term sobriety that she's still in. Her behavior took a while to really recover. Uh, I think what you were saying earlier about alcoholism or addiction, sort of arresting behavior. Yeah. At the age at which it started. Yes. Uh, and and I think it took a while for that to to work. You know, for her to sort of catch up to her biological age. Yes. And also for me uh, to trust again. Oh yeah. Sobriety does not solve all our problems, as it says, I think, on page 46 or 47 of how al works in the, the, the step one description.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of my problems was that I had been running things because I didn't trust her decisions. Mm-hmm. And sort of letting go of that and letting, letting is not the word here, right? Trusting, I think, is the word. Trusting that she was going to make healthy decisions for the family and have an equal voice. That was the thing that was hard for me. Yes. Because it had been so broken during the drinking. I don't know what to say about the fear of where the the kids are going to go. I definitely have been there. And I knew that whatever happened was what was going to happen and that. I could only do what I could do. And, and that sounds so trite, it sounds so simple, and so, like, well, what does that really mean? What it really means is, I don't have a lot of control. I can make my children aware that there is help available, if and when they want it. I can't make them seek it. I tried to force them to go to Alatine. <laughs> and I've talked about this before. I tried to bribe them to go to Alatine. And they went to like three meetings and said, nope, not going. I said, five bucks a meeting. I said, nope. (laughs) And they were 11. So five bucks is a lot of money, you know?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So um, they have found their own path. And I know that at least one of them has, has gone through some therapy. The other one doesn't talk so much about what's going on. So I don't know. But I'm here. And I guess modeling recovery. And thinking about so, what do you say to your kids about why you know, why you're dragging them to these meeting things, right? <laughs> and and at three and five, they're probably not wondering, right?
1: No, they're excited about a, a brand new toy room that they get to play in. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: great. great distraction, but I mean, the question will come. You know, even today, you know, the the church that we attend is there's a communion ritual, and you know, there's the bread and there's the wine. Actually, just today, my three-year-old asks, you know, why doesn't daddy take the drink or, you know, something along those lines. And my husband looked at me and said, she wants to know why you do and I don't. And I said, well, we'll (laughs) take... Luckily, we we were coming up on the quiet portion of the service. And I said, well, we'll discuss that after church. And it never came back up. So we, you know, just kind of moved right along. But at this age, you know, a question like that, well... It it's just his preference and leave. I mean, you know, they're going to ask why because they ask why for everything, but right. But, you know, as they get older, I mean, they get so smart so fast and they're so perceptive, you know, and I, I want to yeah. be truthful, but you know, there's, there's an aspect of anonymity too. That's at risk in how open you are with your kids. I feel.
0: Yeah. I also think kids know more than they let on.
1: Yes. That also. And
0: they may not know exactly what's wrong, what's different, but they know something is. Right. I think that it's possible that actually having an explanation, however much it may or may not make sense, can help reduce fears they have about it.
1: You know, it's interesting because we, unrelated to alcoholism, I have had a similar conversation with a psychologist about you know putting a name to something often even if at this age a child can't understand it or doesn't really know what it means it, it, exactly what you just said it they kind of just go oh that's what it is and move on <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i was out to dinner this there there's a point here i was out to dinner with a work colleague recently and i ordered an alcoholic beverage and he didn't and he said I can't. I actually have a physical allergy. And I don't know if he meant that, mm. you know, he had a physical allergy or that he was alcoholic. And I didn't ask. Right. I, I've heard people say that. hmm I listened to recovered podcast, which is an AA themed podcast that it's actually the guy who got me into podcasting in the first place. And they've had this, this conversation on that podcast about, well, what do you say? What do you say when you're at like the work holiday party and you're not drinking? And one of them said something like, my body doesn't react well to alcohol or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a true statement. It's a non judgmental statement. So daddy doesn't drink the wine at church because, you know, it's not good for him. Mm -hmm. That's probably enough. I don't know. I mean, I'm not (laughs) going to put words in your mouth, okay? (laughs) But at that age, that may be a totally sufficient explanation for the next several years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Because I, I think kids get this notion that, you know, some people, some people can't eat peanuts, right?
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: Some people can't drink wine. Yep. Boom. Okay. Got it. Mhm. Mhm. I think the the behavioral questions are the ones that are harder for were harder for me. You know. Yeah. yeah. Why does she act this way? Well, because um, she does. <laughs> you know. There
1: aren't those those more black and white type of answers.
0: I know. I know. What do you want to give to your children? What tools do you want to give to them as they grow and and as they will become independent people?
1: Acceptance of their emotions is a big one for me. I think a lot of what I go through is feeling wrong in you know the emotions that I have and my feelings. Mm. Feelings are just feelings. They're not fact. I don't want to go so far as to say they're not real. I've heard that said, but you know, they, they feel real. um, And particularly to a child, I think that's a difficult thing to understand. It's difficult for an adult to understand, but, you know, accepting that if you're angry, you're angry. And as I learn how to appropriately communicate anger, I hope to pass that on to them. You know, I had a, a great moment with my son, you know, I've had many moments with my son where we've both ended up in tears and I've been yelling and even when he was as little as a year old, maybe even a, a little younger. I had a moment probably a year or two ago where oh, it had to have been within the last year. We were angry. I don't remember about what, but I came downstairs, I said, I need you to come downstairs with me. So I we had gotten to a point where we could speak without, you know, yelling, and he would have been four. I brought him downstairs and I took a shoebox and I cut a hole in the top of it. And I had I had heard this idea from a woman who was my first sponsor about God box. And I said, I need to give my angry feelings to God tonight. And I said, So I'm gonna write that down on a piece of paper. And if you want to give, you know, something that you're feeling to God tonight, you can do that too. And so, you know, he's four years old. He's psyched about writing anything because mm. he's his letters, you know, I decided to give God my anger and he decided to give God his silliness. He wrote down, you know, I helped him write the word on a, just a scrap piece of paper. And I wrote down my word and I said, so we're going to give these to God. And we put them in the little hole in the shoe box. And I said, now we have to replace it with something. And so I wrote down on a piece of paper, kind words, deep breaths. For myself, and he wrote down calm K A L M (laughs) (laughs) or something, it was spelled something like that or K -K O M or something. Yeah, but he didn't want to just write that, he wanted to write out the whole sentence calm to replace the silliness. And so, he still has that scrap of paper on his dresser, and I still have my piece of paper that says kind words, deep breaths on my nightstand. If I can give tools like that to my kids. My my current sponsor has said to me how wonderful it is that I have found this program while my kids are so young. I think there's a tendency to always feel like we we arrive at Al-Anon too late. I find a number of folks that I've talked to have felt that way, but it's really never too late. And I am really grateful that I, I have programmed now so that whatever comes down the road for me or them, we have some tools like that, that we can use. And I guess the other thing that I would say is to be an, that approachable parent, you know, like what you were sharing with your child being able to call you when they're on the corner, the street corner, trying to figure out how to get home. I don't know if that's, if that's technically a tool, but you know, it could be a tool for them, you know, that phone call to me or that they can talk to me about something without judgment and that I am able to, give a thoughtful response rather than react.
0: Yeah. I think that that was something that, that I did manage. Maybe I can even say we did manage to give our children is to that. If they come to us with a problem that we're going to work with them on the problem and not judge the behavior. And I remember another time when my kid came to me and said, Uh, So I got arrested last night. Mm. He had been with some friends, and they had decided to go into the football stadium at the university here. Apparently the gate was open, so they just walked in, and it was about midnight, and they got caught. And they got charged with breaking and entering. I'm like, well, there was no breaking involved. There certainly was entering. Mm. You know, and this was not something we had to find out about when it was really too late to do anything about it. Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We were able to get on top of it and, and get a lawyer, which of course we charged our kid with the cost of the, of the lawyer and they paid it back over a period of years who got the, the charge reduced to illegal entry. And he got community service because breaking and entering is a felony. Somehow. I think the outcome could have been a lot worse had they tried to hide it. And there was another incident when they were off at college where I got a bill for an ambulance and I had to call and say, um, what's this about? And the response was, oh, I hoped you wouldn't find out about that. But once I found out about it, they were completely open about what happened. This is the same kid who you know, never made the same mistake twice, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> made several new ones.
0: <laughs> but by being open by being approachable by being the person whose first reaction is not to scream and yell. I think we reduced the harm. We were able to at least not make the harm worse uh, out of these situations. So that's, I don't know if that's a tool, but it's, it's something that I feel good about having given them. Mm -hmm. We do talk recovery whether they accept it or not, whether they internalize it or not. It is something that's in the vocabulary of our family now. And I hope that they use those tools when they can. And that's that's sort of the best I can do. In wrapping up, what would you say, Amy, to somebody who's new in program and is worrying about how they can be the best parent they can in an alcoholic family?
1: I think what I would say is Keep coming back. I hear that all the time. I've heard it from day one that there is no doing this perfectly. One of the things that has come with, for me, working on acceptance is accepting that I will parent imperfectly. I will be in a marriage imperfectly. I will work this program imperfectly. That if you are able to remember to breathe, if you Read Al on literature, call an Al-Anon friend, that there is help and that situations I feel like I'm quoting the books and I don't even mean to, but this the situations are not often as bad as they feel, as bad as we think they could be or think they really are, and that there is there is help and there is hope. Parenting is not easy for anyone particularly those of us who you know live with alcoholism or sobriety to remember that your higher power has you and your children's higher power has them gosh there's so much i <laughs> there's so much i could say <laughs> but i think those those would be the the main points it it's in one of the the songs that i thought of that you know your your kids your kids love you and to remember that our children, they love us unconditionally. They, My children are teaching me daily how to love them unconditionally. Just take it one day at a time.
0: Thank you. You did pick a song, Teach Your Children by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, mm-hmm. which I will put up a music video or at least the music. I don't know if there's a video for it. Uh, on the website at therecovery.show slash 232. And do you want to... Tell us a little bit about why you picked it.
1: Sure. This song has actually been in my head for a while. And, you know, knowing that we were going to talk today to put together this episode, it immediately came to mind. I I feel like the lyrics are just so perfect. You know, it talks about you who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. Well, there's program for me right there. That's the code that I'm, I'm trying to live by to become myself about not focusing on the past and these lines that i was just talking about you know so just look at them and sigh and know they love you is it's such a an important reminder in its simplicity
0: absolutely do have more parenting episodes coming up. I want to do an episode on being the parent of an alcoholic or addict child and also a general episode on, on how recovery has affected, helped, improved, whatever word you want to apply there, your own parenting, your own ability to be a parent. I've gotten some contributions for those shows. I'm always looking for more and I know that there are at least a couple of people who have indicated they'd like to have contributed to this particular show about being the sober parent or co parenting. I will use those contributions if I receive them in a, in a later episode. And so don't feel like, Oh, we already did this episode. You, you you can't say what you want to say Uh, because please do, because everybody who shares has, you know, you have your own perspective And somebody's going to get something from what you said that they didn't get from what we said. Amy, how can people send us feedback?
1: You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of the sober parent or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know.
0: Thank you. And the website, which again is Show, has all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode, links to the music that we talk about, links to other recovery podcasts and websites at, that we like. I got one, uh, not exactly an email. I got a comment on the website for episode 231 it was the one about New Year. Nancy left a, left this comment on, on that episode. Hello, Spencer. I just started listening to The Recovery Show a month ago today. I'm so incredibly grateful to have found your program. Although I've been a grateful member of Al-Anon for over 12 years, this has been such an incredible addition to my recovery. I just listened to episode 231 this morning and had to share some coincidences. And in parentheses, she says coincidence when God chooses to remain anonymous. Number one, I started listening on December 4th, 2017. My dad's birthday is today, January 4th, 2018. He would have been 89 today. He passed away in 2011, although I sometimes feel closer to him now than when he was alive. Two, the speaker at the meeting I attended last night mentioned that his dad became sober when he was 70 years old. My dad stopped drinking when I was about 10 years old, but never identified as an alcoholic. However, he was definitely a rageaholic. He started taking antidepressants at age 70. And in the last 11 years of his life, we became very close. 3. I went to church on New Year's Eve day, and we were asked to come up with our intentions for 2018. This included being complete with 2017, somewhat similar to this episode when you ask what we can let go of from 2017 and what are our aspirations for 2018. My first thought was love, so when you shared that was your word, I laughed. 4. When you said the word you got was 1111, I couldn't believe my ears. I've been somewhat obsessed with eleven eleven for the last fifteen years. I started noticing that time repeatedly, and had several people say I should make a wish when I notice it. Ten years ago, I got my only tattoo that says eleven eleven, and I also have a personalized license plate that says eleven eleven. So yes, very much obsessed with it. What I love is that many of my friends send me messages when they notice eleven eleven also. And this is me interjecting. The note I got about eleven eleven said, when you see this, remember we're all one together. And, uh, and I'm going to remember that. And I actually, the other day I saw the clock said 11-11. I was like, yay! <laughs> Coincidence 5, my best friend from high school sent me a copy of a daily reader that she just started reading. The title for today was The Father's Love, Referring to God. Although since it's my dad's birthday, I felt it was like a gentle nudge from him. So from the very bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all you do. And thank you to all your co-hosts and listeners for all they contribute as well. I've told several friends about The Recovery Show and hope they find it to be as beneficial to their program as it is to mine. It's pretty funny that I actually look forward to my one hour each way daily commute now. A grateful listener, Nancy. Thank you for that note, Nancy, and, and all those wonderful coincidences that came together for you. So you picked another song. I did related to this topic?
1: I did. The song is The God of Second Chances. I just heard this for the first time within the last week. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, wow, I know like this is a program song for me. This is really a higher power song for me. And I felt that it was so appropriate for any parent, especially the sober parent in an alcoholic home, because you know, we who love alcoholics, like I said earlier, tend to beat ourselves up tremendously and be very hard on ourselves. And I just love the healing and the comfort that I feel like God brings to me and my higher power brings to me through these words. It's a great reminder to live in today. You know, we really only have today. And every, for me, every today is a second chance to be the person and the parent that my higher power would have me be.